Hello, everyone. My name is Brendan Sieco. I'm the founder and CEO of QZM. First off, I want to say thank you to everyone who is joining us today, as well as share my gratitude with our great panelists. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy during this difficult and unusual time. But above this, I want to join most of you, the global museum community, in taking a moment to recognize and thank our health workers working around the clock and in the face of risk to save lives and help our communities in this time of need. Earlier today, museums around the globe launched hashtag museums think health heroes. In addition to the social media campaign, museums have been donating resources such as protective equipment to hospitals in need. For those who have taken part in our previous webinars, I want to say thank you for joining us again. And to all of our newcomers, welcome. Um, a total of over 7,000 people over the last couple of weeks have joined us and over 3,000 people will be here with us all today. These past few weeks have been a roller coaster ride for many of us as we wrestle with uncertainty. And today we're trying to adapt to a temporary new normal of working remotely while the doors of our institutions are closed to the public. For most of us, it feels like we're building a rocket ship while we've already launched soaring towards space. We've been thrust into a position of figuring things out quickly and trying our best to address changes and challenges where there are really no easy answers. And forums like these, where we can find inspiration, we can find support, and we can exchange ideas are more important than they've ever been. And it's been incredible to watch the museum community and the cultural community come together. So the theme for today's conversation is how museums can experiment with social media to boost audience engagement during coronavirus. And I'm super excited to introduce our special guests. So we're gonna jump into some introductions. We have Hillary Morgan Watt. Hillary Morgan is the digital engagement manager for the Smithsonian's Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden. With over 14 years of experience in museums and galleries, she has led digital strategy workshops across the Smithsonian and lectured at the State Department, George Washington University and Georgetown University. She's an active member of Art Table and teaches as an adjunct professor at George Washington University in the Graduate Museum Study Program. Thanks for joining us, Hillary Morgan. Thanks for having me. And uh, then we have Emily Haight. Emily is the social media manager at the New York Historical Society. Emily previously managed social media at the National Portrait Gallery, Smithsonian Institute, and the National Museum of Women in the Arts. She currently serves on the communications teams of the American Alliance of Museums Media and Technology Professional Network and chairs the social media special interest group for Museum Computer Network. And Emily, I love that you included this in your bio because I think it totally aligns with what we're going to be discussing today. You included in your bio, she values cross-institutional collaboration through social media, sparking dialogue with online communities and creative uses of technology in museum spaces. I just have to shout out how much I love that you included that in your bio. Thanks so much for joining us today, Emily. Thank you, I'm excited to be here. And last, I'm Brendan Sieco, founder of QZM. I will be your host and moderator today. So let's get ready for some questions for Emily and Hillary Morgan. So this one goes out to both of you. I've been seeing Museum Bouquet pop up and might I say bloom all over my social media feeds over the last week or so. By the way, literally, I have flowers next to me <laughs> to pair with that question, like a nice fine wine pairing. And by the way, congrats on the CBS News shout out. That was incredible to see the success of Museum Bouquet. But back on course, can you tell us what Museum Bouquet is and how it came together? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um... 
basically, it was only last week. Like, what is time? Last Friday, I basically saw one of my friends get a bouquet of flowers that she unboxed on social media. And I was trying to think of how can museums send that amount of cheer and, you know, what thinking of our collections, virtual bouquets. And anyone who's a social media manager in a museum knows that we rely on this network of peers who are really creative. And so I reached out to Emily to be like, is this like a thing? Could this work? And she really nailed it with the hashtag. She had the, the idea of museum bouquet. And we just wanted something that would be kind of a light lift for social media managers Probably everyone has some connection, whether it was like actual paintings of bouquets or botanic specimens, and something that would be just cheerful for audiences to kind of flood feeds, the bright spot that wouldn't necessarily be tasking them with anything else, not like download this or come to our website, just something a little more packaged in there, simply for the beauty of it. Yeah, and to add on to that, it was really a great way to spend a morning looking through the hashtag and trying to furiously comment and like everything that people were sharing. But even more than what museums were sharing, it was great to see how the audience was reacting and the kinds of things that just people on Twitter shared where they were like, oh my gosh, hashtag museum bouquet has got me in the emotions. And this is the best thing I've seen all week. And oh, this is like making me cry, but in a good way, just things like that, that I was like, and seeing thousands of those comments is definitely was was really special. And it's it's still going. That's crazy. You can go read more happy comments. It's it's yeah. just cool. Well, I love that it's turned into a little bit of a virtual gift between institutions across the globe. Like seeing a message from the Neue Gallery to the Guggenheim or to this organization to that organization. I find that to be really great level of camaraderie. And just the sheer fact that both of you are at two different organizations, but are clearly friends and, and have worked together in the past in these types of capacities. I thought that it just showed the power and beauty of that serendipity and collaboration. Well, next question is for Emily. You've spearheaded some popular social media campaigns over the past few years. At the National Museum of Women in the Arts, you launched hashtag five women artists. And at the New York Historical Society, you launched Museum Trick or Treat. What do you think makes an effective social media campaign? Oh, man. <laughs> How much time do you guys have? <laughs> I'm sure that there's a lot of people watching this right now who have also worked on similar things before. And of course, there's probably some people tuning in who have not previously managed social media but I think first off, I would say internally, of course, it's helpful to have a great team of people to work with and bounce ideas off of, as well as in the larger museum community. And I think, can you name hashtag five women artists at Women in the Arts was a cross-departmental social media team effort. And it was also something that gave institutions a flexible framework for sharing. It was during Women's History Month. That's when museums tend to spotlight women artists and women in their collections anyway. So it was a pretty light lift in terms of having people create content. And then it was also great for audiences because it issued a challenge. And so many people were shocked that they could not name five women artists. And in the last couple of years, since I haven't been at the museum, they've kind of blown it up even more, which has been great to see. And then hashtag museum trick or treat at New York Historical Society, we knocked on virtual doors on Twitter with other museums to go trick or treating on Halloween. And typically museums share Halloween related content anyway, but this just provided a different, more fun way of sharing their collections. Um, and it's also another way in which it's great when museums act a little more human. And I think that their audiences really appreciate that. 
So it was also a fun way of highlighting some stuff in the collection that maybe doesn't get as much play typically because it is weird or slightly morbid or it's candy, it's skeletons. And I'm not sure how many times I get to <laughs> type on Twitter, like, hey, we're all my main witches. <laughs> like, <where are> we? <laughs> so that was a really fun thing to work on. I think anytime you can provide an idea that shocks or surprises your audience, and when you can c- collaborate with other museums, that's even better, especially for launching something like a longer campaign and act human. I think that's important. Thank you. And Hillary Morgan, the Hirshhorn has one of the most vibrant Instagram accounts, especially for lovers of modern and contemporary art. And hashtag Infinite Kusama was a huge hit. It made its way around the country to numerous museums. And most recently, I saw that you launched hashtag uh, Hirshhorn Inside Out. Candidly, I love that the initial announcement said, tell us what you would like to see in the comments. What has your audience told you that they would like to see? Our audiences are kind of trickling in with their recommendations, and I think we're going to have more opportunities to ask them again after a couple series. There was mostly shout-outs for artists that they would love to see, like Mikaline Thomas, Tsuyoi Kusama. We had a great shout-out for requesting at-home art activities inspired by our collection, and so we're prepping to deliver on that. Hirshhorn Inside Out was the vision of our director, and it really mobilized our curators to take that author seat on Instagram. Obviously, their work is always what informs the content, but it's their direct insights from their living room and artists they're reflecting on. So we just kind of finished up Women's History Month, and now we're going to transition into their reflections on art for trying times and trying to find some moments of inspiration from artists in their own practice and in their own lives. We're hoping to make some connections there, and we're very excited to um, roll out some maker videos, hopefully this week or next week. And, and how has it been kind of letting the curatorial staff have a place at the kind of driving some of that content? I think it's been great. I think on a normal, whatever that's going to be in the future um, schedule, everyone always has lots of enthusiasm for it. But just in terms of tasks and priorities, um, it's not as much of a direct seat necessarily, but it's gotcha. really positive. And um, just great just to hear some different reflections. I think they're taking time to add a different conversational lens to their content. And so it's been positive so far. I want to throw in a question from the audience right now. So we have a question from Allison Golick at the Walters over in Baltimore. As someone who works predominantly in public programs, I'm interested in people's thoughts on the long-term impact of the shift to social media engagement as the main source of connection and relevance with audiences. How will we be able to maintain this level of digital engagement post-coronavirus? Will we lose our digitally cultivated audiences if we shift back to having more in-person programs? I can start with this one, but yeah, I I think that that's sometimes been a criticism of digital in museums anyway, how much you make accessible online. Will people still want to visit in the physical sense? And I think nothing replaces the physical experience of being in a museum or being at a public program in an auditorium where you are 10 feet away from a speaker. So I definitely don't think our increase in social engagement now is going to impact us negatively once museums are able to reopen and people are able to attend those programs in person. Yeah, and I would also add that right now there's a lot of attention on these digital platforms, but for someone who does that role, we've been here the whole time. We were creating content, we are always open to collaborations, highlights, features, and there's more attention on it now and more participants now and we'll still be there afterwards. That's entirely what our role is about to support. The ideas that are creative now will still be creative later and we'll always have a platform um, to rethink which, which is the best fit, whether it's like a live stream or a Q&A or you know, what that's going to be. 
Yeah, it seems like it's just all about adapting. Over the last couple of weeks, a huge level of shifts have taken place. And when things get back to normal, the same will take place where museums are constantly going to evaluate what's working, what's working well for their audience, what's working well for new audience development and marketing. I think that's something to look forward to in a lot of ways. And some of the earlier parts or the root of the question mirror to me the fears that people had during the kind of introduction of radio, where when radio became a thing, people thought that concert halls and symphony halls were going to close down. But the music industry is at an all time, maybe with the exception of right now, is at an all time high for uh, live entertainment. Access in, in many ways overcomes all. Museum staff, especially anyone responsible for social media, you're getting bombarded with ideas for campaigns, hashtags, projects, and more. So when ideas are abundant, how do you narrow in on ideas worth exploring and pursuing? What does that process look like for both of you? I'm going to speak to now versus like, I guess it's the same answer, right? Like what are, what are the best ideas? What's the most unique angle? What's serving your audience? What's back to your core mission? And especially now with the increased volume and attention, what is your unique take that you can provide right now? And I guess what you know, the bread and butter of your collection and then a more unique way to say it and present it. Everyone's going to be doing live streams and everyone's pushing games and it's a lot of great content, but what makes you stand out a little bit more? So maybe instead of like live stream with our curator today, ask them anything. Maybe it's prompting it and add a little more zazz from pollen to chocolate or guerrilla protest art, five things you didn't know about modern art. How can you like position it? I would totally echo everything that Hillary Morgan just said. I think we all have to consider our institutional mis missions respectively and what do we do well? What have we always done well? What's our strength? What do audiences you know, want from you? And then on top of that, I'd say sometimes it's a great idea and just not, a, not the right time for it, not the right vehicle. And I think since we are living in such uncertain times, depending on the news cycle and whatever fresh horrors jump out, people have to be more sensitive than usual. So that might mean some good content just doesn't get posted that day mm -hmm. or it doesn't make it live. And sometimes silence is better. So making that call is tough. I'd also add to something like a little more actionable. Again, speaking to our, our peers in the field, there's so many brilliant people. Ryan Dodge has this great checklist that he created when he was at the Royal Ontario Museum. I've been talking to Ryan Dodge about getting him on an upcoming conversation. And then when he saw this one, he's like, you have Hillary Morgan and Emily. What do you need <laughs> me for? So I'm like, <laughs> so it's funny you mention him. Yeah. Oh, no, of course. He's great. But basically, it's a list of questions of how your content relates to your mission, to your community, to the audiences you're serving. Did you make a joke and should you be making a joke? And to Emily's point about timeliness, uh, what's happening in the world. So we can share that link later. Yeah. And I think he also said, does your museum inspire awe? And if that post is not inspiring awe in some way, you're not fulfilling your mission. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's also something he also used to say that, what is it? Everything you post should be human content. If it's driving somebody to actually buy something, then it should mm. be an ad. And I feel that on every level. Wow. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of these frameworks and action items. I've seen different frameworks for testing your social media ideas before launching. One of them is the acronym ICE. I is for the impact of the idea. C is for how confident you are that this idea will work. And E is for how easy it is to implement. Are these helpful or is it too unpredictable to know what will resonate with audiences right now? I would say sometimes it, it is a little unpredictable and it's hard 
to say for sure, but I know that an approach that I've done and even hashtag museum bouquet is an example of, I usually bounce ideas off of other people before I just go for them. And it was extremely helpful in this campaign, Hillary Morgan put together a Google survey and we also let museums sign up in advance. Mm -hmm. So knowing that we already had 80 museums that were going to participate was helpful in knowing it would be successful. We didn't, I don't think I knew it was going to be that big, but I knew that it would make some of an impact. Yeah. Um, So definitely testing things out with colleagues and friends. And also for every hashtag that hits it big, there's another hundred that don't, and it doesn't mean that they weren't good ideas um, or that they weren't executed well. It's sometimes just hitting the right chord at the right time. Um, and that part is unpredictable. Well, it's great to hear that you you put out a line early with the community to first see if there's buy-in, to see what the responses are. And then it also seems like you're baking in distribution for when it launches. So I think that that's brilliant. And, and that's fantastic to see, especially with Museum Bouquet. Currently, obviously, there's this wild rush to get material out to the people, which is critically important given the, the circumstances, but should really be looked at as step one. Does this answer the bigger question of what audiences want right now? What do you think audiences want right now? And can you experiment with small groups of people, maybe not museums, before going public to see what will stick and what won't? Um, I can start and then I'll pivot to Emily. Um, I th- audiences, it's dark times out there, right? So I think consistency from your brand and your mission and your content, not that there can't be moments of creativity and a new spin, but if we're highlighting works from our collection, we should probably keep doing that to provide what they expect of us in some sense of normalcy. I think our audiences are kind of already, with most institutions, segmented in some ways. Okay. So we have our teen art lab program and on their platforms they've moved from in the studio to online and having conversations and some live streams we're going to have some activities for our Hershorn kids newsletter tapping into what you already have is probably where I would stick with it yeah I would totally agree I think social listening is obviously key it's a good way to get a sense every social media manager has their finger on the pulse of what's going on on the internet in that given day which is also crushing sometimes Uh But I think another example is the New York Historical Society, for example, their education department is really phenomenal. And they already made these real-time Zoom lessons for kids at home. And then they also provided a bunch of teacher resources. But for them, they also have their own lists and relationships that already exist with schools and educators. So they already knew about the need that needed to be filled. And they already had a way to reach those people. And it's been really successful that that's an example of like knowing your niche audiences and how best to serve them. Even though that was not strictly social, we've obviously been helping to promote and share kind of museum from home resources on our channels. And Emily, are you watching throughout the day what types of content is trending, what hashtags are trending? And and do you recommend or advise to museums or whoever is in social that they might be able to piggyback on some campaign that's picking up momentum, the caveat being it's appropriate, it's maybe apolitical, it's not dark or anything kind of off color. Right. Yeah, no, I think definitely keeping in mind timing and tone and not being partisan while being political is fine. Museums are not neutral. Museums are not neutral. I saw it on a t-shirt once. But I will say sometimes that's helpful. For example, if people didn't know that today was census day, that is something that a lot of people can do 
online from their homes, that they have stuff that relates to the collection that's great. And that was a trending hashtag. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, a lot of the hashtags that trend on a day-to-day basis right now are all related to coronavirus. They sure. probably steer away from that, unless you are actually providing something that is a useful resource, um, which would probably mean just pointing to the CDC at this point. For sure. For sure. And that's to your both of, to add on, there's lots of hashtags that do make sense there's such an umbrella term that anyone can participate in. So the museum from home and museum moment of Zen, I think those are probably pretty applicable to lots of folks on this call today. Large hashtag like homeschooling, hashtag work from home. All of those are still getting picked up. So you're seeing museums jump onto hashtags that are adjacent to coronavirus, but more so the day in day lighter touches of hashtag homeschool and other such things. Is that starting to pick up or is it an accepted reality for most brands, institutions, and campaigns? I think probably both. It makes sense as a natural marriage of content, that that's where that would live. I'd agree. I want to pull in a question from the audience, and this one dovetails nicely off of the jumping into trending phenomenon. This comes from Sarah Paschel from the Nevada Museum of Art in Reno. She asks, I recently saw an Instagram post from the Museum of Modern Art, which was an art piece featuring a tiger. And in their caption, they gave a shout out to the Tiger King show that is now one of the most watched shows on Netflix. It got an outstanding response. And in times of worry and constant updates of important and serious information, is it helpful and uplifting to break with the casual branding and focus-driven content to play into some viral humor or just post something cute or silly to make people smile? Isn't a time like now the time to try something new out of the box or just plain wacky? I think it's great when museums are able to take advantage of trending memes and things that people are streaming on Netflix, because obviously a lot of people are streaming video right now. And I think it's great when museums can imbue their content with a little bit of humor and joy, but I think you have to be really careful about the way you do that and think about your audience first. If your audience doesn't play that kind of game, it's probably not appropriate for you to do it now. I will say, I think consistency has been very helpful for a lot of museum social media feeds, but doing something like penguins walking around in an aquarium looking at stuff. It's just inherently joyful without it being cruel or making fun of anything in particular. So I think that's a fine line to toe. And I think a lot of social media managers know the difference too and know what their audiences want from them. I would just say that I'm in general a little more cautious about comedy overall. I think if you're in like the pun zone or dad jokes probably safe bet. Shout out to Hannah Ostroff, who does uh, Smithsonian Social. She's always has a really great uh, sense of that comedy. And I'm curious about kind of some of the social distancing memes. Again, I'd be concerned that with how much this is extending, that it kind of has a bit of elitism to it. There's been some conversations Mm. going around online about that, like social distancing versus like survival. And I think just in general, I'm, as we continue down this path, I would lean more towards cute and calming versus humor. Uh, unless that's already part of your branding. And even then, day-to-day, that timing. And especially if our institutions, our own internal communities going through a really hard time and with additional layoffs, maybe your museum shouldn't be cracking any jokes. So an example would be like the Merle. Like they, they're always cracking jokes. That's That's their bread and butter. And that's what people expect from them. So that is totally within their realm. But yeah, I think the other things that make people happy, cute animal photos, bright colors, 
these are all things that are safe and can still be fun. I think it's even scientifically proven that bright colors and cute animals lift the spirits and give you a little hit of dopamine. So you can always lean back on that at the end of the day. You raised a good point about the perception of elitism or the inequality aspect of things that might arise by stepping a little bit over a boundary that maybe an organization is exploring right now, given the circumstances. We had a question from Christina uh, Scorza from the Museum of Contemporary Art in the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego. She says, as inclusivity and diversity and equity are incredibly important, how can everyone engage? Are we mining the data to understand who is participating to better understand how to serve a more diverse audience? That's a question that I hadn't heard over the past few webinars, and I thought it was a really important topic to uh, weave into today's dialogue. I think that that's something that every museum is trying for, and it kind of breaks down into who is your audience already, and who are you hoping to expand that to? And we all have our own ways of, our own analytics, our own measures of success. So I think as long as one thing that's easy that people can do that makes it more accessible for everyone is adding in alt text wherever you can, even though it's an added step for a lot of people. So thinking about people who are coming from different backgrounds and making sure that you take that extra step. But then there's also stuff like just looking at your analytics of your top posts and the regional breakdown of where your online followers are coming from, measuring what's done well, and then try to hit that high note again. And I think anything that can be a little bit more interactive and invite other people in and having multiple entry points to something, not assuming that people know a very art historical term, explain it in the same line if you're going to use it. Small things like that. I don't know if that was exactly the question that they were asking, but I feel like those are some of the best practices that a lot of social media managers follow in an attempt to make sure that their content as, is as inclusive as possible. I second everything Emily said, and I would just add in terms of the voices that you can highlight that representation matters. So internally, who can you include and amplify? Again, looking at collections and exhibits and the state of the world through multiple lenses and also trying to include more visitor voices, whether it's in how you write captions to invite commentary back or even just have that be the, the post itself. It's a really great technique. Right. And you mentioned something about the, the analytics that maybe institutions are tapping into. And I, and I want to scale things back a little from the perspective of museums that maybe they don't have a social media department or someone dedicated to that. And they're really starting to learn the motions or go through the motions of learning how to effectively manage social media and use the tools. What are some tools on top of the actual channels themselves? Is it Hootsuite? Is it Buffer? What are some of the go-to applications or software that you would recommend to a museum, less than 10 employees, just starting to figure things out, starting to understand what their online audience looks like? What are those tools? Well, for New York Historical Society, we use Sprout Social, and I do really like it in terms of reporting and content scheduling. Sometimes it's like get you a program that can do both. I do think it is tough if you are a very small museum with a limited budget, you're kind of limited to those in-platform insights and analytics. But I would also say when it comes to things like content creation and organizing, if you're now using a lot more people across the institution who are inputting content, things like Airtable or Asana, a lot of museum professionals really like Airtable in terms of organizing content. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I would also just add that larger museums don't necessarily have those metric budgets either. So I hear Sprout Social is great. I like Keyhole. I find that's great for campaigns and analyzing into data for specific projects, less yeah. the platform overall. Great. And I feel like now more than ever, the, a lot of these platforms have free plans and free trials available, especially what, with what is going on for nonprofits and education-based institutions. So I just want to mention that as I would imagine any of the tools that you've mentioned, there's probably uh, a free or inexpensive entry point just to get started in that area. Much of what we've been discussing today involves engagement beyond simply driving people back to your website. We've been talking about reaching people where they are, whether it be Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. For some of you, maybe it's TikTok, Facebook, and other channels. Before coronavirus, how many posts per day would you recommend? And what do you recommend now, as well as what channels have been most successful? I know that Emily and I will just say the same thing of quality over quantity, always. So my recommendation isn't that different from a normal day. I'd probably do like one post on Facebook and Instagram and then multiple posts on Twitter just because of how fluid it is. And there's more of a balance of like content and marketing needs. And so during this period of closure, I wouldn't necessarily shift much beyond that, especially now just for how much content there is and frankly, how much emergency messaging needs to get out there depending on what uh, community you're in and how quickly that is shifting. Yeah, I'd echo all of the same things. We tend to post once or sometimes twice on Instagram, not including stories. And, but generally speaking, our best time to be posting is 10 o'clock at night. Our audience is New York based. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much of that has to do with just a New Yorker's daily life. But Facebook, we allow for like two to three, depending, but it's always content first. We're never trying to just fill up space to fill up space. Mm -hmm. And I think now more than ever, we definitely are overloaded in terms of the resources that we're trying to share with people and the ways in which we're trying to engage with our audiences. So I think having thematic, streamlined, broken down content is helpful also for our audience to not overwhelm them all at once because they're already feeling overwhelmed. And are there any non-museum social media channels or brands that you follow that inspire the way you think of the power of online channels and what they have in everyday's life? I think you bring up a really interesting point, Emily, about feeling overwhelmed right now, what are some of the accounts that you follow that give you the reversal, put you at ease, put you in your Zen state? You know, other than Hillary Morgan's account, other than Hillary Morgan's. Oh, account. yes. No, I mean, I love, I've been getting a lot of like daily gifts and memes from friends and family, which has been great. I will say this is a very personal, but I'm, I'm sure it has mass appeal because he has so many followers, but I do love following The Rock on Instagram just because he's, so charismatic, so upbeat. He's doing a lot of live sessions with all of his fans so they can ask me anything while he's in the gym or he's having like a cheat day eat. And he always has like a very nice message and thanks people. It's very gracious. So it's soothing white noise to me sometimes. So, so wait, Emily, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Really? <laughs> if you wow. haven't followed him, it, it is, it's pretty great. <laughs> it's I feel pretty- like this is a teaser for a New York, New York Historical Society campaign with, with uh, The Rock. It, we're, he's not from New York, though, is he? No. He's well, not. if he was. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. <laughs> oh, wow. And Hillary Morgan, what about you? Lots of different things. My favorite stress relief these days is the account My Therapist Says. Yeah. I just feel like- they're perfect any day. And even now in this difficult time, they're just hitting the right notes. I also love the cartoonist Gemma Carell. 
lots of cats and pug jokes and anything by uh, Jamila Jamil with her I Weigh. It's all about a community of positivity, inclusivity, and it's wonderful. And, and what are some of your favorite experimental ideas that you'd be open to sharing with the audience today that maybe aren't a right fit for the Hirschhorn or aren't a right fit for New York Historical Society, but might be worth pursuing for other museums? I hope it's okay that I put you guys on the spot with that one. Hmm. Is the answer a New York City siren? <laughs> could be, could be, who knows? Is anyone doing like online Mad Libs? Is that still a thing? Community collaboration? I've seen some word puzzles uh, yeah. from Akron Art Museum. Mad Libs, I'm not sure. Are you seeing a lot of trivia? I have been starting, I actually just saw a post, my sister sent it to me, of the Burke Museum in Washington State doing online trivia. But I think it might be more of a Zoom platform. I haven't looked into it yet, but I think that could be really fun. I don't know. It's tough because I think people are really doing a lot of creative things right now, yeah. but it's also being pulled in every which direction um, because there's so many other leisure activities out there. And some people are getting super analog and breaking out jigsaw puzzles and board games, which is great. I think I really do love Seema Rao's museum games that she's doing, including that crossword puzzle. And I think she's constantly trying to think of new ways of engaging people and new fun things for her audiences. So yeah. yeah. It's been great. And I think also the color art collections for museums, um, not that saying it's not a good fit. It, I think it's a good fit for most people, but I love seeing the resurgence of that coming up too. And the ways in which it translates on social media by coloring in things on Instagram stories, but also offering downloads for people to print at home and work on. I think that's been pretty cute. It seems like, and I, I feel this very strongly about Seema's work with museum games, is any time that there is an existing framework, meaning the heavy lifting has already been done for you, if you are a smaller organization that, again, doesn't have a lot of time or resources right now, that might be your best, your best bet right now is to leverage what, what has already been created. And I think Seema's done a phenomenal job and there are probably other examples popping up because what I've seen is just like endless amounts of resources flowing openly for the field by the field right now. And that helps everybody rise during this time. So just wanted to mention that there's probably 10 times what we've even mentioned in the last couple of minutes in that regard. Oh yeah. And even, I'll even add on one to say that I've really loved a lot of the Zoom backgrounds that museums are creating out of their artworks. I saw some great ones from the Smithsonian American Art Museum and the North Carolina Museum of Art. I'm working on some for New York Historical now too, because I think it's going to be really fun to have a change of scenery. I probably should have put one up here, but oh well, next time. And it looks like the chat is blowing up with hashtags of all the games and things going on right now. So yeah. definitely worth a browse forever. Excellent. So let's jump into uh, a bunch of questions from the audience. This is one that is really a critical question. It comes up every single webinar. It comes up in our conversations with membership departments and it bleeds across a number of different departments as it does relate to members and donors. But a lot of people have asked, and this is coming from Zach Rose, could you share some insights into separating content that should be reserved or saved for members versus donors versus the general public? That one's really hard. And I think museums are going to struggle with it. I think one technique is maybe uh, that like membership gets first look 
versus only access because probably what you've promised them and their benefits is some type of exclusive access and that fills that need. So if you have something juicy that they can see it first, you can do that with like unpublished links to video content. I would agree the same thing, having unlisted content that's video or recordings from public programs that were for members specifically. But I also think that in general, it's good to give our members some credit. And I think that, again, uncharted water is very difficult times. I think that the people who are supporting museums financially do it because they love the institution and they love the field and they love supporting arts and culture. So I don't think that those people are going to be too only my content, don't let anyone else see it. I think at this point, we're, we're all here together. So I would say for any membership department that feels that they are able to give some of that members only access to a wider public, I think now's the time to do it. Yeah, I, that's, that's all really helpful feedback. And it is such a challenging question because there's different priorities at stake. But I, I think you're absolutely right about why members support the organizations that they do. And I know that there's a lot of data that, of course, supports that very fact. I did hear earlier in the week, I can't remember if it was director of membership from the St. Louis Art Museum or the Dallas Museum of Art, but they were saying they were taking the same content that they're making publicly available and sending it out 24 hours earlier so that there was a little bit of, in some ways it's the illusion of exclusivity, but at the same time, they are getting a first look, like you mentioned earlier, which I, which I thought was in, an interesting way of addressing it. Cause again, like museums, most museums being solely about or, or primarily about this mission of access and education. It is a challenging question to address for sure. Well, and I think another framework to consider it is like how you might have a press announcement for something. Yeah. Uh, lots of museums don't quite have exclusives, but they're kind of exclusives. Which images might that person get? So it's all the baby otters, right? Well, members get this baby otter photo and they get it first. And then everyone else gets this book album of the baby otter photos. I think there's ways to segment it to honor that commitment that members have given. Interesting. And how do museums ensure that they're staying true to their audience through these new digital strategies and not becoming part of this, we're here for you trend um, that has become pretty commercial and corporate feeling? I guess just going back to, Emily had that great point of, are we, are we sounding human? Mm. That should be like the first question. But we know if we're doing our jobs, we know that we are that community space for everyone. So I think the initial messaging is of we're here for you in its variations, I think that was authentic and meaningful. And as long as there's a balance of your content coming after that, it's going to still ring true and balance in terms of what we mean of content for your audience versus asks that you need. If you're trying to add people to your, your e-news and then you have membership coming, like how can you really stretch that out so it doesn't feel like too much, I think you'll have that integrity with your audience still. And I think that's the point to highlight is the integrity. A lot of big brands are different from museums in a lot of different ways. And museums are inherently for the public. It's part of our arts and cultural landscape. So I think as long as you are maintaining the integrity of your channels and the content that you're sending to your audiences and think about them and less just we have to get all of this out and kind of take a breath, take a beat and think about a strategy and then shift and adjust as needed. And are either of your organizations doing live streams? And if so, are you supporting those with an adjacent social media campaign or live tweets of what's taking place within the live stream itself? 
We're doing a lot of Zoom meetings because we have a lot of different program mm-hmm. departments. So in that respect, they're live. And then they also have the recordings afterwards to share. In terms of live streaming from our accounts, we also don't have access to the physical museum space right now, which makes it a little difficult. And I think there's some museums that have a lot of digital resources that they've already filmed, like having virtual tours of the Frick collection. And some museums don't have those resources to create that, especially now if they didn't have them before. But I do think I send a lot of, I wanted to test out maybe doing Facebook events for things that are live. I don't find live tweets to be too helpful or informative. I think you'd be better off making sure that you caption whatever content you put out there after the fact and post it on YouTube and send it out in an e-blast in case you missed this kind of posts. We haven't started any live streams yet, but our education team is busy creating and conceptualizing how we might adapt some of their programs to make it special and for the live stream audience. And right now we're doing a lot of repurposing of content and repackaging. So we have our, our Hersher and I mobile guide that's an experience where you walk through the galleries and scan art. And we're looking at how taking all that rich video content to brand it a little ad, maybe like an intro is needed to serve a new purpose during this closure. So we're being a little more experimental mm-hmm. with what we have. And I know that we're doing similar things with our public programs and kind of scheduling e-blasts that are thematic and sharing a public program that's been recorded and is live on our website from the past, because that content is still good content, even if you didn't make it to that talk in person, or even if you did and you want to watch it again, good video is good video. Excellent. I, I just want to let everybody know that there are close to 100 questions that have been asked by the attendees of today's webinar. So we're going to try our best to address as many of these as we can in the next five minutes. So we have a question from Sarah Hardy. As an institution that doesn't have a dedicated social media manager, this coronavirus uh, hashtag museum from home phenomenon has turned all of our staff into social media contributors. What advice do you have to maintain a consistent voice and aesthetic? Or is that even important in establishing a good uh, social media presence? I think if you are just now starting accounts, that's a separate question than using existing accounts. And I think it is okay to have multiple voices. Obviously, that's what you want to invite into your channels anyway. But making sure that maybe you have one editor or one person who's reviewing everything for tone that's going to make it sound more cohesive and appropriate for your platform. That's what I would say is if you can assign someone the role of editor, that is good. Yeah. And just finding space where you could have those individual staff members quotes as needed where it's relevant to their specialty. Cause I think it's, it's, yeah, it's a, a tool at your disposal. For, for a museum that is starting out in this social media strategy world, if this is something that's fairly new to them or they're starting to dive deep or they're letting all hands on deck across their department, kind of in a perfect world, if they're now starting to put together their style guide, their defining framework in an ideal world, would you want the word human to be involved in that? We've talked a number of times throughout the last you know, 45 minutes about making sure that your content is human, that it has a personal human touch. Do you think that applies to 99% of institutions? And, and would you think that the social media environment at large would be a better social media environment, a better, stronger community, if people kept that, that single, simple idea to heart? Simple answer, yes. 
I think for sure. Um, You are here to serve humans. So why not talk to them like they're humans and why not engage in conversation like there's also humans inside your institution? I think knowing that you're there to serve people is an important part of everybody's work in museums. Do you have anything to add, Hillary Morgan? I mean, gosh, if we were going to workshop what should be in a strategy, (laughs) I mean, human, back to our discussion earlier with awe-inspiring and really service to your community. What are you, what's the best way to fulfill your mission online? Great. Well, I want to say a couple kind of closing words before we round the corner into our final question for today's special guest. So I just want to thank everybody for coming to this webinar discussion today. I hope it's been insightful and helpful. I also hope that you've been able to share amongst yourselves some tips and tricks in the chat dialogue. After this webinar, we'll make all of the questions available, the ideas, the hashtags, the accounts to follow, and the solutions. Um, We'll combine those into one living document to share across the museum community. It's a living and breathing Google document. Feel free to share your thoughts there or in the webinar chat, or feel free to email them over to hello at qzm.com. I'm confident that any question you have can be answered by someone in this community, whether they are at an institution right across the street or across the globe. And the fact that you're here shows that you're taking proactive steps in preparing and participating in your museum, navigating this really difficult time. And overall, we're all in this together. We're all going to get through this together. I hope that that is a resource for everyone. And thank you, everybody, for your attention so far. So we're in the last eight minutes to go. One big last question is, could you leave us with one big idea that we can bring back to our institutions during this time? And let's start with you, Hillary Morgan. For one big idea, I might cheat and say a few. You should ask your social media manager what they think should be said online. Because from talking to a few of my peers, no one's asked them yet. So back to the bombardment of links being sent and content brainstorms, which is great. And there will be a balance and they would love to hear it. They probably know what should be the pace and tone of content these days um, because they knew your audience before this all started and they have a good sense of your collection, the expertise to put in front of a camera. They're there for you. And you don't need to reinvent the wheel and jump on every bandwagon. You're going to see some hashtags and some great campaigns and they're so awesome. And it doesn't mean you have to also do it. Excellent. And do you side question there is in many ways, the social media departments have been the unsung heroes of the public face of the institution for many, many years. And it seems like now with the growing importance of social media in times like these, do you feel like you're getting the, you meaning all social media, you're speaking on behalf of all social media (laughs) managers across the globe right now. Do you feel like you're getting the support and the appreciation that you need right now? And is there anything that that your staff and and staff in general can do to make this process as conducive, collaborative, and successful as possible? I think for what most of my peers would want is like some validation of their expertise. I know I've received a few notes from some staff that have really touched me, which is sort of encouragement for what we're doing and how we're reaching people. It makes all the difference, even just a text or an email. But that's really hard to speak for everyone. But yes, no, obviously feel supported. And I think... What a crazy time. We know that so many museums with their staff numbers, it's like half a person or one fifth of a person who's filling this role right now. And I hope it's a moment that everyone's going to realize finally the significance of it. 
No, I mean, I, you said what I was going to say too. I feel like I'm, I'm going to be echoing you. I would say, trust your social media manager. If you are not the social media manager on this feed, if you are a social media manager, I'd hope that you can find ways to enlist the help of the people around you that are available and you can direct their energies in the ways that you know they're the expert on X, Y, and Z and you can use them for that. I can't say how grateful I am for a bunch of colleagues who reached out to me early days when it was completely crazy. Um, just saying, hey, I love how consistent you've been. I think everything looks great on social media. I just wanted you to know I'm here for anything that you're working on or if you need extra help, I'm here. Because um, it's great when people come up with ideas, but it's also great if they're there to help you execute them because you're one person. And yeah, I really appreciated that. Yeah. Well, Hillary Morgan and I were also trying to think of a couple other ways of imbuing a little bit of cheer and brightness into our feeds. So I think we are going to try and do a hashtag Museum Sunshine on April 21st. That sounds amazing. Yeah, so kind of in the same vein as hashtag museum bouquet, but it would be a lot of anything that is bright and yellow and or paintings of sunrises, anything that lights up and that'll make your audiences light up too. I think we're, we're going to hope to do something like that on 11 a.m. on April 21st. And we'll be sending around a sign up in advance if people just want a little reminder. But again, also no pressure to the people who are overloaded and don't feel like it's appropriate. Don't worry about it. You've got other things to do. Thank you. I have to say in, in reading a lot of the comments coming in through this chat dialogue, people were asking, how can we participate in some of these campaigns like hashtag museum bouquet? And I think you answered that very clearly just a moment ago saying you have something coming up easy to get involved. And I think that's a beautiful thing to people are already saying that they love hashtag museum sunshine. So you already have some uh, fans in the audience today. And I, and I imagine that the reach and the diversity of institutions getting behind it will continue to evolve in the, what was the date again? April 21st? It's before Earth Day. Before um, Earth it might Day. might be a nice way of leading people into Earth Day as well. Excellent. Excellent. I know we all could use a little bit of sunshine, so I personally look forward to this. Well, thank you, Hillary Morgan, and thank you, Emily. This was a really insightful conversation. I hope that it was helpful for everyone who attended the webinar today. All of this is going to be made available in a video form. It was recorded. Audio format will be transcribed, so we hope you'll be able to share this amongst your peers, your colleagues, anyone who might find some of today's conversation helpful. And again, thank you for joining us today. Thank you to my amazing special guests, Hillary Morgan and Emily. And I guess until next time, thanks and be safe, be well, and see you soon.